way God made it, you know, and, and we want to follow what God says. We don't want to follow what we think or try to make somebody feel good or, or try to satisfy people. The Bible says in the last days that people would, would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and would turn away from the truth and would turn to fables because they don't want to hear the truth. It's just like uh, preaching about what the scripture says about um, living righteously. The, the, the Bible doesn't say that God saves you in your sin. Nowhere can you find a scripture that God saves you in sin. But every single church that I know of preaches that you can come to the Lord just like you are and he's going to save you in your sin. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 122, he says that God saves you from your sin. That's a big difference. Like you, you have to repent, then come. It's not that you come and then you repent. There has to be a repentance that takes place in your life. And, and, and it'll tell you, well, you can sin and you won't die. You can, you, you're saved in your sin, therefore you're going to go to heaven in your sin. That's a lie. That's a lie. Whether it's meant to be a lie, whether it's done on purpose or not on purpose, it's still a lie. Because Revelation 21, verse 27 says that nothing shall enter into the kingdom of heaven that is defiled or unclean. No sin can enter in. But we continue here, you can sin and you won't die. That's the same message that we talked about that the devil's first start. That was his first doctrine. That was his first teaching. When the earth started, he met, it was Adam and Eve. Eve was in the garden. The snake there stands and he says to Eve, he says, what, what, what can you do? What, what, what can you eat of the tree? She says, all of the trees we can eat of the tree of, of, of the garden. But of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Lord said, we shall not, you, you shall not eat of it. She said, neither shall you touch it, but it's neither here nor there. And the devil said this. And she says, if we eat of that tree, of that fruit, we shall die. And the devil says this. You can eat of the fruit of the tree. You shall not surely die. You won't die. In other words, you can break God's commandment. You're not going to die. You're not going to lose your place with God. The same exact doctrine is being taught today. You can sin and you won't die. I got news for you. The news for you. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, and it doesn't go, go away. The wages of sin is death. You sin, you're not going to make it. There are, sin, there are sins that we, we read about in 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 5, Galatians 5, Revelation chapter 21, and it names those sins. He says, you do these, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, strife, envy, all these things, murder, all these things, liars. If you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's time that the church or, or the people of God stand up and make a stand and say, this is a lie that's been told us. you got to stop sin. Why in the world? Can you imagine the Lord? The Lord is saying here, he says a few things. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Well, he says again in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, he says, awake to righteousness and quit sinning. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, he says that everyone that names the name of Christ depart from sin. Can you imagine a God that would tell you to do something knowing that you could not do it and telling you to do it, and then when you can't do it, he would punish you for not doing it and knowing you couldn't do it? 
not the God we serve. He's called us to holiness, and he says, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And he expects that of us. The law has not passed away. It's here and it's here to stay. We walk in truth and in the victory of Christ. So here we see the, the, the things that are taking place in the modern day church that are outside of scripture. So we were talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Bob, we're talking about uh, a woman is not to usurp authority over a man, right? One of the things that he says here, um, verse 12, he says, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed in Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. You have something to say about that? Well, actually, I was not about that, but I was looking at the part where it talks about women and the way they should dress. Oh, yeah, in, in verse 9. In verse 9, uh, where they're not supposed to make themselves stand out in the presence of, uh, of men in the church because of, of the way people, the way men think, you know? And so that's what happens a lot today is why we have a lot of adultery and, and all the fornication going on within the church is because of stuff like that, you know? And so uh, they think that, some of them think that that's all right, uh, but it, it, it's really not. Because uh, you, you, you could cause your brother to stumble. You could cause the brother to stumble. And likewise with the men, you know? Uh, the, the dress code from what it used to be years ago, fit, say 50 years ago, is drastically changed now. You know, or anybody could walk in and, and you know, in, in a pair of swim, in a swimsuit, and then consider it okay. But it's actually not, because it would cause somebody to sin, or somebody to stumble. And what he's really saying, I think that verse also goes along with First Peter chapter three. Um, uh, I think here of Bob where he talks about and all of you in 1 Peter 3 he says um, verse 3 he says who's adorning speaking of women who's adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and putting on apparel but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit which is in the sight of God is of great price so that's the real dress the scripture talks about wearing modest apparel. Doesn't mean that to try to wear something that's standing out, but something that kind of goes along with that you're not sticking out like a sore thumb, you know, type thing. See that that the last chapter there in, in chapter two that you read, verse uh, verse fifteen, it talks about that they should continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. Mm. You know, so that I uh, self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit that. A lot of people overlook today. I mean, they want to go with love, faith, kindness, joy, and all that. But I think self-control is the hardest one, you know. And today we have an issue with that going on actually within the church because a lot of people think that it's okay to do certain things when it's not. It's a, I, I think it causes people to stumble. And that's one of the things that he talks about whenever the woman should be silent in church is because if she... Uh, it can become, men can become contentious within the church. And I've seen people, and you probably have too, 
Well, they're supposed to be called that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Called Dulles. All that. All that. Um, what, else, what was the next scripture we were talking about? First, in, uh, first Timothy 2 and what else? Yeah. Oh, it was, you continued on with reading chapter 3 and then moving over into Titus. Okay. It was actually, it was actually uh, uh, those yeah, chapter okay. 3 and then Titus 1. Let's, let's, let me ask y'all a question, uh, if I may. I'm going to ask you a question tonight. Uh, I want to know, okay, we talk about the church. What or who is the church? Is the church the building? Is the church... The, the church is one or two, I mean, uh, two or more people yeah. gathering to talk about God, and that's the church, right? Not necessarily. Who, who is the, first of all you have to determine who is the church okay okay to be able to have a church right right say yeah so you have to determine who is the church so let's determine who or what is the church then we then we go there okay but you're right but let's let's take it according to what the the, the pattern of it you had something to say don you were disagreeing with him? I was agreeing, agreeing with him. Two more gathered yeah yeah um but what, what, what is the church? What is the, how is, how, is it, can a bunch of people that uh, are unrighteous get together and say they're the church? Huh? And that, would that be the church? So would the church be made up of uh, people that are righteous or unrighteous? Righteous. Now, of course, you're going to have some people in the church that aren't righteous that are there that are, you know, going along to get along or doing this or that or walking, like Paul had to address certain people that were in, like the church of Corinth, there was some that was in there that was lost, and he had to address them and, and speak to them. But the church, the Bible said, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. We talked about this a little bit the other day because this also talks about um, the husband and wife relationship here. Um, I had one brother, verse 21, uh, verse 22 actually, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as unto the Lord. I had one brother tell me his wife said, said to him, well, I never even looked at it that way. I thought it meant just respect your husband. No, it means submit. means to obey, to walk with. For the husband is the head of the wife, and as Christ is the head of the church, verse 23, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands, and everything husbands love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So how is the church really supposed to be? And what is that? No sin. No sin? Uh, blameless? Look, these are the words. Here's the church. Not have a spot or wrinkle. No spot. No wrinkle. Or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blame. In other words, can't be blamed for anything. So, so he says, therefore, the, the contrary is a perfecting church. 
you know, the, the professing, what the professing church is not the church. That's what I'm getting at. The professing church, you guys, some of you guys go to, that's not the church. I'm sorry. The church is made up of a holy, blameless group of people, and you're going to have some in there that are not, but surely at least the, the pastors would be. But when you got pastors that are telling you that they're sinning every day and that they're going to die in their sin and you're going to sin till the day you die, that is not the church. What you're doing is you're doing exactly what Psalm 1 says not to do, and you're sitting in the council of the ungodly. You're sitting in the council of somebody, and you're sitting there listening to, counseling you, telling you, what, giving you basically a self-help deal, telling you how to get better. They can't get better himself. He's still got a beam in his eye. The Bible says that thou hypocrite. You judge another because you and you got this beam in your eye and you're trying to remove the moat that's in your brother's eye. That's what Luke chapter 6 or, or, or Matthew chapter, chapter 7, it says that, okay? It says, first, get the beam out of your eye. Now, if you got a beam in your eye, can you see anything? Go stand in front of a beam and see if you see anything on the other side of the beam. You what? We said right before that in Luke chapter 6, he said, if the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a ditch. So if you've got a pastor or preacher, somebody telling you, I'm going to help you, they're lying. They can't help you. They cannot help you live without sin because it's the blind leading the blind. Take the beam out of your eye so that you can help your brother remove the mote out of his eye. Now, when you take the beam out of the eye, can you see clearly? Yeah, yeah. So you can see clearly to help your brother. But you can't see clearly as long as you got a beam. And you got people that are admittedly saying, I've got a beam in my eye. I'm still falling. I'm still sinning. I'm going to sin till the day I die. I'm going to die in my sin. I was saved in my sin, not from my sin. And I'm going to die in my sin. You say, well, how do you know? I said, I talk to them. I hear them. I listen to them. And that's what they say. So what do you do with that? You're going to sit under that kind of counsel and hear that kind of stuff and think you're going to do better and think you're doing what's right because you're going to quote a church? That's not the church. Because what my Bible says the church is, my Bible says the church is to be holy, blameless. These people don't even say, they say you can't even be holy and blameless. They say you'll sin till the day you die. How's that saying you're blameless? But when you get a group of people together, the Bible says that you, he, he says he no longer dwells in temples made with hands, God says, right? Anybody know the scripture? I don't know if you do I need to go there. He doesn't dwell in buildings. That's not God's church. That's not the church. The church, like you said, are the people of God, right? And he says, who does he say is the temple of God in the word? We are. We are the temple of God. You got a verse for me? You know what I do? You got, okay, give me a verse. Somebody give me a verse. Anybody? Oh, don't you look it up on there, you phone. Give me, I'm just kidding. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <laughs> I'm thinking of you. Look it up, Don. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And also uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians 3, 
and verse 16. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So who's the temple of God? The ones that haven't defiled their temple. It's a clean temple. Yeah. Look at, um, while we're right there, look at 1 Corinthians chapter, um, chapter 6. Chapter 6 right there tells you how you can defile your temple. And he says in chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Shall the unrighteous inherit the kingdom of God? Let me ask you this. Shall they? According to what the word says. Well, what about if they uh, accepted the Lord, but they're unrighteous? Can they inherit the kingdom of God? According to this. What about if they joined the church and they asked God to forgive them and they went forward to an altar and, and they told them they were saved? Will they inherit the kingdom of God, but they're still unrighteous? They still live in, in sin. Will they inherit the kingdom of God? Yes, we repent. And then he names these things. Next he says, be not deceived. Why do you think he put be not deceived? And you think maybe he put be not deceived because maybe you could easily be deceived into thinking something different than what he's writing right here? I think so, right? So he's saying, watch out. Don't be deceived in this in your thinking. And he goes on and he said and he names these things: fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminates. Abuses of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, murderers, all these shall not, what? They're not going to make it. If I look at this Bible and I find any of these things that I see here in my life, I need to agree with God and say, God, I'm, I don't have eternal life. I got this in my life. Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, of what a man has overcome the same as he brought into bondage. If I'm overcoming the sin, I'm in bondage to that sin. Therefore, I don't have eternal life. Now, as we enter chapter 6, let's go a little further in chapter 6 and look at verse 15. He says this, he says, Don't you know that your bodies are the members of Christ? You're the temple. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a whore? Or another woman outside of marriage? God forbid that kind of... Terry, you see that? God forbids that kind of thinking or doing. You, if you, you're not married and you're sleeping around. You, 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 you're in this category. You need to say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. I need to get this right. I need, like Jill said, I need to repent. I need to change my mind my, when I change my mind. Say, okay, it's like somebody watching a commercial and, and they, they are smoking. They smoke cigarettes. They see on the commercial and say, well, smoking is hazardous to your health and is known to cause cancer. And they think, whoa. I'm going to change changing my mind about that smoking. That, that's going to kill me. So what do they do after they change their mind about smoking? What happens? They quit smoking, right? Because they change their mind. They, it's called repentance. That's what repentance is. God forbids that kind of thing. It's more or less of a, it's more or less of, it's more of an action than 
The action of, of repentance is second is second Corinthians five seventeen, and that is if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. All those old things, those old sins are gone. Everything becomes new. Yes, sir. Some things come new, huh? No, not some things. All things. <laughs> okay, listen. Let's go a little further. What does he say after this? What? Now he's asking the question, 16, what? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. Let me, let me explain this to you too. You may say, well, I got a girlfriend or I got this friend and she's not a harlot. She don't sleep around with everybody. She just sleeps around with me. Anyone outside of marriage that sleeps around, whether it's a male or a female, in the scriptures called a harlot. It's just one person. It doesn't matter. So the next thing he says to us, um, join, what, know you not that, uh, that he which is joined to a harlot is one body, for two saith he shall be one flesh. We go, why does he say that? Because in Ephesians 5, if we would have kept reading there, Bob, it, it said that in a marriage between a, a husband and a wife, they become what? One. They become one flesh, right? They're no longer two. God, God took the... the the rib out of Adam, and he formed Eve, and they became one. He said, you leave father and mother, and you become one flesh. So if you go and you take your body and you join it with another person outside of it, you become one with that harlot. So you're really in, in a bad shape. You're not the temple of God anymore, because God's not going to dwell in a, in a dirty temple. Remember what he said over here? He, 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 he said about, about the temple in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, you're defiling it. You defile it because you're bringing something into your temple, and God's not going to live in a temple that's defiled, unclean. Okay, let's go further. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Stop. Stop it. Every sin that a man doeth is out without the body, but he that commits fornication sinneth against his own body. That's one of the sins that lead to death. 1 John 5 talks about sins that don't lead to death and sins that lead to death. He's pointing this out because this is a sin that leads to death because you're, you're doing this with your body, which is really serious, okay? Uh, he's sinning against his own. What, know you not that your body is, the, don't you know that the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, which you're not your own? God, people want to say, well, this is not fair. I didn't get this. I didn't do this. You're not your own. You gave your life to the Lord. He bought you with, with Calvary. You belong to the Lord. You don't belong to you. You don't belong to, I don't belong to myself to be able to say what I want or what I don't want. That's the whole life of being a Christian, right, Bob? It's, it's where you lose yourself. You lose your life. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, for he'll lose his life. But if he loses his life for my sake, then he'll have life. Jesus paid the price. 
We were bought with the price of Calvary. We're not our own anymore. For you are bought. There he goes right. He says the exact same thing I just said, verse 20. For you are bought with a price. What was the price you were bought with? His death. The death of Jesus. He paid for you. Paid for me. Therefore, glorify God in your body and everything you do. Does it glorify God for you to willfully go out and sin against God? That doesn't glorify God. How does that glorify God? It's not at all. It, it, it makes people blaspheme God because, because of the works we do. To glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now let's go over to the book of 2 Corinthians now, chapter 6. Check, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Very familiar scripture to a lot of you, but very important. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What in the world does that mean? Anybody tell me what that means? You work with somebody that, that does not believe what you believe. It's like you're going different directions. You can't go like that. One. Okay, let's, let's, uh, 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 Cedric, can you ex can you tell me uh, what it is to believe? What does the word believe mean? Um, versus basically what a believer really is. A believer is an obeyer. Okay, what where do you? Because the Greek word, when you go and you look up believe, you're going to see there, uh, like faith, it's going to say one that is faithful and, and, and fidelity and obedience. So the word believe, like, like for instance, uh, John 3.31. Uh, John 3.31 says, he that believeth... 36, 36. 36, 3.36. Thank you, thank you, Sadie. Boy, he's getting good. <laughs> he's getting good on it. 3.36 says, He that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God hath life. And then along with the verse it says, He that believeth not, basically it says, He that obeyeth not Jesus Christ hath not life. So the same word, these are, uh, how do you call them, synonyms? Uh, they they the same word. Believe and obey is the same word. So, what? Yeah, and also 1 Peter 2. But uh, when you're talking about, so, so you, when you classify an unbeliever, it's someone that's not obeying the Lord. And I'm going to show you this in the scripture too, that, that it's important to, to identify that. So first of all, he says, don't be yoked, une, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So Ben was saying, that means don't hang around with, with unbelievers. Why? What does it do? A, a good scripture would be what? 1 Corinthians 15, 33? Can I give you an example of that? Sure. If you take two oxen and you put them together to pull a wagon, both of these oxen are trained to work together to pull that wagon, that load, okay? That means they are equally yoked together to do one job. If you take a young bull, a young oxen, has never pulled a wagon before. The farmer always puts it with a trained bull so that that bull can learn what the trained bull already knows or the trained oxen already knows until that younger one 
starts walking in harmony with the other one pulling the load. Okay? So what this scripture right here means is that if you connect yourself with somebody that's unrighteous and you start walking with that person, you're not equally yoked together as unbelievers, but soon you will be walking equally. He will have an influence on you. He will have an influence on you. And that's why it says here, you, the, the, um, for what fellowship has righteousness with all of you. And so if you, if you start buddying up with somebody that is in sin, that, 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 that's lawless, so to speak, and you're supposed to be a righteous person, and you start walking along with that person, eventually you're going to pick up with them. You're going to pick up on their personality. That's, you're going to good. start being like them. And so until you are equally yoked together, pulling the same load, which would be the load of sin that, that you're committing or that person's committing. Okay? That same way, if, if you take a new Christian and equally and, and hook them up, to a, a, a seasoned Christian, one that's been sanctified, set apart, a mature Christian, then eventually, I will give you a good example, Cedric and Pastor Don here. Cedric and Pastor Don, Cedric came in, he was unequally yoked to Don, and now he is training, being trained with Don to walk beside Don in the same righteousness. That's, and that's, what I mean that by being unequally yoked. Good example, huh? Thank you, Bob. Good example. I, 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 what? I, I, I like the way you explain that. Huh? I like the way you explain that. Yeah. It, that's, what, that's what that unequally yoke means. It says what, what value is righteousness walking with the lawlessness. There's none whatsoever because one of you is going to either connect with the other one so that you'll be walking side by side. That's why I've, uh, uh, why I've always said that the, the personality of a person is subjective. And that personality will pick up on somebody else's personality. It doesn't matter what you believe within your heart. Eventually, you're going to be acting just like that other person. That you're going to be acting just like him because you've heard the expression so many times where a, 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 a woman will walk up and say, well, that boy acts just like his daddy. Or, or that, little, that little girl right there is, is acting just like her mother because they can see that the, the influence the father or the mother has on the son or the daughter is pull, slowly pulling them to where that they will be walking as son and daughter or mother, and, uh, you know, if you get my example. So it's actually, you have to be careful with being unequally yoked with anybody out in the world. That's why it's that's good because that, that is one of the uh, great dangers of, um, of a lot of people in that they, um, as a matter of fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, be not deceived. A lot of people are deceived into thinking, well, I can hang out with my old friend and it's not going to have any effect on me. Because he says, be not deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Um, we've seen that time and time again. When, when Ben came out of incarceration, uh, I hope you don't mind me using it as an example, uh, but Ben voiced to me that he was not going to fall for the tricks of the devil again, in that he had realized that in the past that there was a pattern that would happen to him because he would 
end up following that same pattern of hanging out with the wrong people. And it had a great influence on his life that pulled him down. And so he broke fellowship with that, um, <clears throat> which is very, very important. I, think, I appreciate Bob saying that. And, and as you go further in this, he gets into explaining uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 what he's even talking about. He goes and he says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Let's park there just a minute. I want to define righteousness. Because a lot of people think, well, I'm righteous because uh, I had this experience with Christ or, or because like that young lady that said, or older lady that said, well, I'm righteous because I had this experience years ago and people laid hands on me and I know I got saved and all this stuff. Cedric, uh, or somebody here, can you tell me what the scripture defines righteousness as? 1 John 3, 7, if you want to turn there. Um, <clears throat> this is important because a lot of people believe, well, you just receive a gift of righteousness, and even though you're not doing righteousness, because you're, quote, called a Christian, that you're righteous, and that God calls Christians righteous. That's not true. Uh, the Scripture defines what righteous is in 1 John 3, 7, Cedric said, and he says... Um, uh, little children, let no man deceive you. We hear that all the time in the scripture. Don't let anybody deceive you. Here it is again. Into thinking that you can be righteous and not doing righteousness. Because look what it says. Little children, let no man, no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Who is he? He's talking to Christ. So it's a person is not righteous because they say they're righteous, because they say they've been implanted righteous or or imputed righteousness, or they accepted the Lord, they did all this thing. If there's not righteousness coming forth from your life continuously, that you're doing righteousness, you are not righteous. So then he asked the question in 2 Corinthians 6, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? So if I've defined righteousness, how would I define unrighteousness? It would be those that are not doing righteousness, right? Would be defined as unrighteous. So what fellowship do I have if I'm righteous with somebody that's, that's not righteous, that's not doing righteousness? Or somebody that's saying and believing that, and they are, if they believe in it, they're certainly going to do it for what every man believes in his heart, and shall he do. He also does. It is What fellowship do I have with somebody that says, I'm going to always sin, I fall short, I keep stumbling. That's not a righteous person. So I don't even have any fellowship with that. So how can I go to these modern day churches that tell you from the pulpit that you're that they're not righteous and that everybody there is not righteous and there's nobody